chapter eleven part two of the life of washington volume three by john marshall this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter eleven part two york invested york is a small village on the south side of the river which bears that name where the long peninsula between the york and the james is only eight miles wide in this broad and bold river a ship of the line may ride in safety its southern banks are high and on the opposite shore is gloucester point a piece of land projecting deep into the river and narrowing it at that place to the space of one mile both these posts were occupied by lord cornwallis the communication between them was commanded by his batteries and by some ships of war which lay under his guns the main body of his army was encamped on the open grounds about yorktown within a range of outer redoubts and field-works calculated to command the peninsula and impede the approach of the assailants and lieutenant colonel dundas with a small detachment consisting of six or seven hundred men held the post at gloucester point he was afterwards reinforced by lieutenant colonel tarleton the legion of lauzun and a brigade of militia under general weeden the whole commanded by the french general de choiset were directed to watch the enemy on the side of gloucester and on the twenty eighth the grand combined army moved down on the south side of the river by different roads towards yorktown about noon the heads of the columns reached the ground assigned them respectively and after driving in the piquets and some cavalry encamped for the evening the next day the right wing consisting of americans extended farther to the right and occupied the ground east of beaver dam creek while the left wing consisting of french was stationed on the west side of that stream in the course of the night lord cornwallis withdrew from his outer lines and the works he had evacuated were the next day occupied by the besieging army which now invested the town completely on that side two thousand men were stationed on the gloucester side for the purpose of keeping up a rigorous blockade on approaching the lines a sharp skirmish took place which terminated unfavorably for the british after which they remained under cover of their works making no attempt to interrupt the blockade october sixth on the night of the sixth of october until which time the besieging army was incessantly employed in disembarking their heavy artillery and military stores and drawing them to camp the first parallel was commenced within six hundred yards of the british lines this operation was conducted with so much silence that it appears not to have been perceived until the return of daylight disclosed it to the garrison by which time the trenches were in such forwardness as to cover the men by the evening of the ninth several batteries and redoubts were completed and the effect of their fire was soon perceived new batteries were opened the next day and the fire became so heavy that the besieged withdrew their cannon from the embrasures and scarcely returned a shot the shells and red 
hot balls from the batteries of the allied army reached the ships in the harbor and in the evening set fire to the cairn of forty-four guns and to three large transports which were entirely consumed reciprocal esteem and a spirit of emulation between the french and americans being carefully cultivated by the commander-in-chief the siege was carried on with great rapidity october the second parallel was opened on the night of the eleventh within three hundred yards of the british lines the three succeeding days were devoted to the completion of this parallel during which the fire of the garrison which had opened several new embrasures became more destructive than at any previous time the men in the trenches were particularly annoyed by two redoubts advanced three hundred yards in front of the british works which flanked the second parallel of the besiegers preparations were made on the fourteenth to carry them both by storm the attack of one was committed to the americans and of the other to the french the marquis de lafayette commanded the american detachment and the baron de viomenel the french towards the close of the day the two detachments marched with equal firmness to the assault colonel hamilton who had commanded a battalion of light infantry throughout this campaign led the advance corps of the americans and colonel laurens turned the redoubt at the head of eighty men in order to take the garrison in reverse and intercept their retreat the troops rushed to the charge without firing a gun and without giving the sappers time to remove the apatis and palisades passing over them they assaulted the works with irresistible impetuosity on all sides at the same time and entered them with such rapidity that their loss was inconsiderable this redoubt was defended by major campbell with some inferior officers and forty-five privates the major a captain a subaltern and seventeen privates were made prisoners and eight privates were killed while the assailants were entering the works the redoubt attacked by the french was defended by a greater number of men and the resistance being greater was not overcome so quickly or with so little loss one hundred and twenty men commanded by a lieutenant-colonel were in this work eighteen of whom were killed and forty-two including a captain and two subaltern officers were made prisoners the assailants lost in killed and wounded near one hundred men the commander-in-chief was highly gratified with the active courage displayed in this assault speaking of it in his diary he says the bravery exhibited by the attacking troops was emulous and praiseworthy few cases have exhibited greater proofs of intrepidity coolness and firmness than were shown on this occasion the orders of the succeeding day congratulating the army on the capture of these important works expressed a high sense of the judicious dispositions and gallant conduct of both the baron de viomenel and the marquis de lafayette and requested them to convey to every officer and man engaged in the enterprise the acknowledgments of the commander-in-chief for the spirit and rapidity with which they advanced to the attack and for the admirable firmness with which they supported themselves under the fire of the enemy without returning a shot the general reflects concluding the orders with the highest degree of pleasure on the confidence which the troops of the two nations must hereafter have in each other assured of mutual support he is convinced there is no danger which they will not cheerfully encounter no difficulty which they will not bravely overcome the moore house at yorktown virginia 
where the terms for the surrender of the british army were arranged between washington and cornwallis the actual drafting of the terms was done by the viscount de noailles and lieutenant colonel lawrence representing the french american forces and colonel dundas and major ross for the british during the same night these redoubts were included in the second parallel and in the course of the next day some howitzers were placed in them which by five in the afternoon were opened on the besieged the situation of lord cornwallis was becoming desperate his works were sinking in every quarter under the fire of the besiegers the batteries already playing on him had silenced nearly all his guns and the second parallel was about to open which must in a few hours render the town untenable to suspend a catastrophe which appeared almost inevitable he resolved on attempting to retard the completion of the second parallel by a vigorous sortie against two batteries which appeared to be in the greatest forwardness and were guarded by french troops october sixteenth the party making this sortie was led by lieutenant-colonel abercrombie who attacked the two batteries with great impetuosity about four in the morning and carried both with inconsiderable loss but the guards from the trenches immediately advancing on the assailants they retreated without being able to effect anything of importance about four in the afternoon the besiegers opened several batteries in their second parallel and it was apparent that in the course of the ensuing day the whole line of batteries in that parallel would be ready to play on the town the works of the besieged were not in a condition to sustain so tremendous a fire in this extremity lord cornwallis formed the bold design of forcing his way to new york he determined to leave his sick and baggage behind and crossing over in the night with his effectives to the gloucester shore to attack de choiset after cutting to pieces or dispersing the troops under that officer he intended to mount his infantry on the horses taken from that detachment and on others to be seized on the road and by a rapid march to gain the fords of the great rivers and forcing his way through maryland pennsylvania and jersey to form a junction with the army in new york this desperate attempt would be extremely hazardous but the situation of the british general had become so hopeless that it could scarcely be changed for the worse boats prepared under other pretexts were held in readiness to receive the troops at ten in the evening and convey them over the river the arrangements were made with such secrecy that the first embarkation arrived at the point unperceived and part of the troops were landed when a sudden and violent storm interrupted the execution of this hazardous plan and drove the boats down the river the storm continued till near daylight when the boats returned but the plan was necessarily abandoned and the boats were sent to bring back the soldiers who were relanded on the southern shore in the course of the forenoon without much loss october seventeenth in the morning of the seventeenth several new batteries were opened in the second parallel which poured in a weight of fire not to be resisted the place being no longer tenable lord cornwallis about ten in the forenoon beat a parley and proposed a cessation of hostilities for twenty-four hours that commissioners might meet at moore's house which was just in the rear of the first parallel to settle terms for the surrender of the posts of york and gloucester to this letter general washington returned an immediate answer declaring his ardent desire to spare the further effusion of blood and his readiness to listen to such terms as were admissible 
but as in the present crisis he could not consent to lose a moment in fruitless negotiations he desired that previous to the meeting of the commissioners the proposals of his lordship might be transmitted in writing for which purpose a suspension of hostilities for two hours should be granted the general propositions stated by lord cornwallis as forming the basis of the capitulation though not all admissible being such as led to the opinion that no great difficulty would occur in adjusting the terms the suspension of hostilities was prolonged for the night in the meantime to avoid the delay of useless discussion the commander-in-chief drew up and proposed such articles as he would be willing to grant these were transmitted to lord cornwallis with the accompanying declaration that if he approved them commissioners might be immediately appointed to digest them into form october eighteenth in consequence of this message the viscount de noaille and lieutenant-colonel lawrence were met next day by colonel dundas and major ross but being unable to adjust the terms of capitulation definitively only a rough draft of them could be prepared which was to be submitted to the consideration of the british general determined not to expose himself to those accidents which time might produce general washington could not permit any suspense on the part of lord cornwallis he therefore immediately directed the rough articles which had been prepared by the commissioners to be fairly transcribed and sent them to his lordship early next morning with a letter expressing his expectation that they would be signed by eleven and that the garrison would march out by two in the afternoon surrender of lord cornwallis finding all attempts to obtain better terms unavailing lord cornwallis submitted to a necessity no longer to be avoided and on the nineteenth of october surrendered the posts of yorktown and gloucester point with their garrisons and the ships in the harbor with their seamen to the land and naval forces of america and france nineteenth the army artillery arms military chest and public stores of every denomination were surrendered to general washington the ships and seamen to the camp de grace the total number of prisoners excluding seamen rather exceeded seven thousand men the loss sustained by the garrison during the siege amounted to five hundred and fifty-two men including six officers lord cornwallis endeavored to introduce an article into the capitulation for the security of those americans who had joined the british army but the subject was declared to belong to the civil department and the article was rejected its object however was granted without appearing to concede it his lordship was permitted to send the bonetta sloop of war untouched with dispatches to sir henry clinton and the americans whose conduct had been most offensive to their countrymen were embarked on board this vessel the allied army may be estimated including militia at sixteen thousand men in the course of this siege they lost in killed and wounded about three hundred the treaty was opened on the eleventh day after the ground was broken by the besiegers and the capitulation was signed on the thirteenth the whole army merited great approbation but from the nature of the service the artillerists and engineers were enabled to distinguish themselves particularly generals du portaille and knox were each promoted to the rank of major-general and colonel govion and captain rochefontaine of the corps of engineers were each advanced a grade by brevet in addition to the officers belonging to those departments generals lincoln de lafayette and steuben were particularly mentioned by the commander-in-chief 
in his orders issued the day after the capitulation and terms of peculiar warmth were applied to governor nelson who continued in the field during the whole siege at the head of the militia of virginia and also exerted himself in a particular manner to furnish the army with those supplies which the country afforded the highest acknowledgments were made to the camp de rochambeau and several other french officers were named with distinction so many disasters had attended the former efforts of the united states to avail themselves of the succors occasionally afforded by france that an opinion not very favorable to the alliance appears to have gained some ground in the country and to have insinuated itself into the army the commander-in-chief seized this occasion to discountenance a course of thinking from which he had always feared pernicious consequences and displayed the great value of the aids lately received in language highly flattering to the french monarch as well as to the land and naval forces of that nation knowing the influence which the loss of the army in virginia must have on the war sir henry clinton determined to hazard much for its preservation about seven thousand of his best troops sailed for the chesapeake under convoy of a fleet augmented to twenty-five ships of the line this armament left the hook the day on which the capitulation was signed at yorktown and appeared off the capes of virginia on the twenty fourth of october unquestionable intelligence being there received that lord cornwallis had surrendered the british general returned to new york the exultation manifested throughout the united states at the capture of this formidable army was equal to the terror it had inspired in congress the intelligence was received with joy proportioned to the magnitude of the event and the sense of that body on this brilliant achievement was expressed in various resolutions returning the thanks of the united states to the commander-in-chief to the comte de rochambeau to the comte de grasse to the officers of the allied army generally and to the corps of artillery and engineers particularly in addition to these testimonials of gratitude it was resolved that a marble column should be erected at yorktown in virginia with emblems of the alliance between the united states and his most christian majesty and inscribed with a succinct narrative of the surrender of earl cornwallis to his excellency general washington the commander-in-chief of the combined forces of america and france to his excellency the comte de rochambeau commanding the auxiliary troops of his most christian majesty in america and to his excellency comte de grasse commanding in chief the naval army of france in the chesapeake two stand of colors taken in yorktown were presented to general washington two pieces of field ordnance to the comte de rochambeau and application was made to his most christian majesty to permit the admiral to accept a testimonial of their approbation similar to that presented to the comte de rochambeau congress determined to go in solemn procession to the dutch lutheran church to return thanks to almighty god for crowning the allied arms with success by the surrender of the whole british army under lord cornwallis and also issued a proclamation appointing the thirteenth day of december for general thanksgiving and prayer on account of this signal interposition of divine providence it was not by congress only that the public joy at this great event and the public approbation of the conduct of general washington were displayed the most flattering and affectionate addresses of congratulation were presented from every part of the union and state governments corporate towns and learned institutions vied with each other in the testimonials they gave of their high sense of his important services and of their attachment to his person and character 
the superiority of the allied force opened a prospect of still farther advantages the remaining posts of the british in the southern states were too weak to be defended against the army which had triumphed over lord cornwallis and the troops which occupied them could neither escape nor be reinforced if the comte de grasse could be prevailed on to cooperate against them although in his first conference he had explicitly declared his inability to engage in any enterprise to be undertaken subsequent to that against yorktown the siege of that place had employed so much less time than the admiral had consented to appropriate to it that the general resumed his plan of southern operations in a letter addressed to de grasse he used every argument which might operate on his love of fame or his desire to promote the interests of the allies to prevail on him to cooperate in an expedition against charleston if this object should be unattainable his attention was next turned to wilmington in north carolina which was still occupied by a small detachment of british troops who kept that state in check the capture of this detachment though not an object of much consequence in itself was supposed to derive some importance from the influence which the complete liberation of north carolina might have on the future military operations of the united states and on their negotiations general washington proposed to send a detachment intended to reinforce general green as far as wilmington under convoy the reduction of that place he supposed would detain the fleet but a few days after which it might proceed to the west indies to enforce the representations contained in his letter as well as to pay his respects to the admiral and to express in person the high sense entertained of his important services the commander-in-chief repaired on board the ville de paris october twenty three the count the count acknowledged his conviction of the advantages to be expected from an expedition against charleston but said that the orders of his court ulterior projects and his engagements with the spaniards rendered it impossible for him to remain on the coast during the time which would be required for the operation as he also declined taking on board the troops designed to reinforce general green preparations were made for their march by land and major-general st clair who commanded the detachment was ordered to take wilmington in his route and to gain possession of that post november the comte de grasse having consented to remain in the bay a few days for the purpose of covering the transportation of the eastern troops and of the ordnance to the head of elk they were embarked in the beginning of november under the command of general lincoln who was directed to march them into new jersey and new york and to canton them for the winter in those states the french troops remained in virginia not only for the protection of that state but to be in readiness to march southward or northward as the exigencies of the ensuing campaign might require the transportation of the troops and ordnance to the head of elk being effected the Comte de grasse sailed for the west indies and the commander-in-chief proceeded to philadelphia End of chapter eleven part two End of the life of washington volume three by john marshall